<laughs> Welcome to Reads and Weeds. Um, this is Shelly Smith, and uh, right here is she, hi, Kim, and right here is Lynn Fiorentino, and Hello. neither one of them have been on the show before, um, and it's strange times. We're, uh, we've done about, I don't know, 40 episodes over the last two years yeah and and then we've had a, several lost episodes episodes that we did but because of this sound or the recording or whatever we lost them you know so mm -hmm. that's heartbreaking but um you know there's a there's a certain vibe around a table with microphones and headphones in the presence of other people and I would have snacks and but I also just wanted to keep doing it uh even though we're in quarantine I wanted to keep doing it because reading is my solace and my imagination and having good conversations with friends is one of my favorite things. And uh, being able to do this, especially now, even with subpar sound quality and technical difficulties is super important to me. So I'm really happy that you guys are here. And right before we got on, I asked them if they smoke weed, <laughs> and they don't really. But that's not a requirement. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's just my way, and um, it also gives me a chance to talk a little bit about the cannabis industry and stuff like that, because that's the industry that I'm in. Um, yeah, so Reeds and Weeds, Lynn and Jihai. Um, did I say yeah. either one? Jihei. Okay. Yeah. I was like, Jihei. And then immediately I'm like, did I say Fiorentino, right? You did. You did. Okay, great. <laughs> and I'm Shelly. So uh, we're going to talk about Pachinko today, which I'm super excited about and have been wanting to do for two years. So um, I'm curious. I, I saw it stalking one of your Facebook pages. One of you said, hey, I'm really glad you loaned me this book or something, right? <laughs> yeah, who that was me. Who loaned you the book? Lynn, Lynn loaned me the book. Okay, okay, okay. And we're going to get to that in just a second, but um, I just realized I should talk about how we know each other. So um, we all, I used to work at Zingerman's Roadhouse, and Lynn worked at Zingerman's so everything work yeah <laughs> yes yes she, yeah. she worked there for how many years 25 25 right and I worked for Zingerman's Roadhouse for about five until about 2013 and Jihei um runs Miss Kim but where were you before and how long has Miss Kim been been around oh Miss Kim's been around maybe a little over three years now Okay. Um, and before that, I was at the Roadhouse, and then I was at the Deli, and I also ran a food cart with Zingerman's called Sun Street. Uh, oh, my gosh. And, uh, formerly known as Mark's Cart. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I just remembered that I went to that Sun Street dinner at the Roadhouse. Oh, yeah. On the patio when you were first launching. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was so good. It was so <laughs> good. And I kind of had forgotten about Mark's Cart's. Yeah, I, it feels like food carts are a long time ago. I know. A month ago is a long time ago. Oh my God, it is. It is. So, um, 
it's a good thing to address why are we doing it this way? Why are we not in a studio at CRB doing the show? It's because we're still in quarantine. So this is probably my fourth or fifth quarantine show. And um, because there's a worldwide pandemic that we're living through right now. And um, everything's weird. So um, first things first, how are y'all doing? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How has the restaurant changed and adapted, and how are you doing, Jihei, with Miss Kim? Uh, you know, we're down more than fifty percent. Uh, we had to follow a bunch of people, but we're still keep going. Um, the restaurant switched to delivery and takeout only, and no contact pickup. Um, we're being vigilant and careful, and we're just grateful that. Well, at least I'm grateful that I actually get to go somewhere um, and provide some good food for people who's like holding the homes. Yeah. And Lynn, how are your days and times? My days and times, I'm one of those people who's losing track of time. I used to be mm -hmm. acutely aware of it. And this morning I woke up and I thought it was Monday. <laughs> <laughs> like everything is yeah. is blending together. So I'm I'm completely fine. Everything is well. I'm really lucky so far. My family's healthy. Um but yeah, it's uh definitely a strange experience. Yeah. So Oh my gosh, I have to thank you again cuz you gave me a sewing machine, right? That's right. Is it been working all right? You gave me a sewing machine. I just totally forgot. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> your your sewing machine, your Husqvarna Viking Scandinavia 100 model. Yeah. <laughs> that when I first got it, I was just like, "Oh shit! What am I thinking?" All sewing machines are different. I've never used one like this. It threads completely different. But yeah. I've probably made 150 masks. Um, it's in my kitchen right now. It's like. The, my main life right now is sitting in front of your sewing machine. Oh, nice. Night nice. and day. Like it is, I live in my kitchen in front of your sewing machine watching Ozark <laughs> <laughs> or The Handmaid's Tale oh. and that's, smoking that's weed and sewing masks. Huh? That's, that's lovely. That makes me happy because, you know, I've had this sewing machine for years, but um, my husband and my daughter have used it a few times, but I never yeah. have. And it's, for the most part, it just sat around. So, and I was like, I'm not going to learn how to make a mask. All the masks I use are just the no, the no sew variety. Or you're just yeah, yeah. Fabric. And uh, so when you put out the call, I was like, yes, good. This is, this can be my yeah. contribution to it's masks. It's been my life. It's yeah. been, it's been a your sewing machine coming into my life has made this entire thing bearable because oh, I have something to do. I have something right. to do, you know, and, and, uh, it, that my structure of my day is like, well, I'm going to do 12 today, or I'm going to do 18 today, or I'm gonna do five today and go deliver all the ones I made the last couple of days. And it's been helpful on the weeds side of the reeds and weeds. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a, I'm the membership director for the Michigan Cannabis Industry Association. Mm -hmm. So we decided early on that if there was any dispensary, because we, they're open as essential businesses doing curbside and they're busy. And so we said, if anyone asks us for masks, we'll just make them and give them to you. So it's been hundreds and hundreds because there's wow. dispensaries all over the, it's a lot of contact. Yeah. It's, you know, it's kind of like pickup and delivery. 
Um, so anyway, that's your your sewing machine. Yay! It's helping all of those people. It's really wonderful. Um, okay, so tell me, I don't even know where to start with this book because it's so epic. I read it a couple years ago. This came out, so we're doing Pachinko by Minji, Minjin Lee. And uh, she is a New York-based writer. She um, started this story years and years before it came out as a story called Homeland and then ended up rewriting it into Pachinko after she moved and moved back. And it's this epic, I think, five-generation saga, maybe, yeah, five, at least five-generation saga of a Korean family in Japan and pride and tradition and parenting and war and it's an epic saga really um and, and the second time reading it still is profound and frustrating and so I wanted to have and, and in the back of my book I don't know if in the back of your books is this way do you have the questions there's like book study questions do you know what I'm talking about I know what you're talking about, but my copy is with Jihei, so no, I don't have to throw it out. I don't have to throw it out. So I want to give you a chance to do your first take on like, why did you love it? What were your biggest takeaways in any way? Starting with Jihei. Oh, well, so I knew of this author because um, she is a Korean American from New York and I'm a Korean American from New Jersey. And I knew of her debut novel, The Free Food for Millionaire. So when that came out, it got a pretty good review from NPR and stuff. So I read it and enjoyed it very much, but it was sort of like, I enjoyed it when I read it and then I stashed it and never thought about it very much after. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought what I took away from that book was that um, it was too familiar because it was a story of Korean Americans and their friends and their, their community in New York. And I felt like I actually knew the people. Um, and then when this book came out, I think it took me a long time to go back to it because I was a little bit almost creeped out from the first book of how familiar it was. And then... Um, and then, uh, but I wanted to read it and then uh, Lynn brought it to uh, our diversity committee uh, meeting as a book giveaway. So I grabbed it and then I, I only started reading it because this uh, quarantine and pandemic thing was giving me so much anxiety and everything on Facebook, uh, whether I agree or disagree with it, was also giving me anxiety. So I needed to just yeah. be off electronics and then I started reading it and it actually calmed me down a whole lot better than a therapy mm -hmm. session and then I read it in like a, a four days uh, period of time and uh, enjoyed it more than a free food for millionaires um, and I think with this author like it, say I felt the same way about the first book but it stood out to me more on the second book that she like has this like a really nice pacing where even minor characters are given a little bit of a uh, humanity mm -hmm. random girl that doesn't have 
whole lot of purpose in the story other than to illustrate like a cruelty of one character is given like uh, more humanity than that. So you understand more why that act was more cruel. So like I actually really enjoy that about this writer. Um, yeah. That story takes starts in Korea and moves to Japan. And I actually know some Korean American, well, I actually knew some like a third generation Japanese Koreans who came to United States and talked about identity um, and that I know the towns that the mother is from. And so those things like added more texture. So it was, um, it, it felt very like personal and involved when I was reading it. So uh, Free Food for Millionaires, can you give me a quick synopsis on that? Because I love her writing too, but I haven't read that one yet. And tell me why it felt too close. Was it because the families were so similar or your experience was so similar for Free Food for Millionaires? Yeah, uh, it's not that our experience is similar, it's just that I felt like I actually knew these kind of people. So the main character's name is Casey Han. She's a recent graduate from one of the Ivy League schools and she feels a little lost and then um, it goes from there. And then you read, read Pachinko and Pachinko actually stays with one family. So it's a little more... Mm -hmm. fluid in, in storytelling but with Casey it goes into her family her sister and her friend and her co-worker so it meanders a little bit mm -hmm. um, it's uh and it's also set in modern day um and I especially felt like I knew the uh protagonist parents like they're Korean American oh. nation mm -hmm. um good people that's hardworking, dealing with two different cultures and two different generations and things like that. So I knew people like that. And so yeah. that's a little unnerving. <laughs> yeah, okay. So Lynn, um, how about you? Give me your first take, your takeaway. Why did you, you know, why did you love it? Why did you want to share it? Mm -hmm. I have always loved fa like family type epics, you know, those that go through several generations and um, usually some sort of historical background. So this just really fit in with that love generally. I think I'm shaking the table, sorry. Um, I originally got to it, you know, every, I, I go to bookstores all the time, or I used to, and I would, you know, always see it as, as like a staff pick. You know, like there was always these write-ups and these glowing reviews of it. And I was was interested in it, but I was a little daunted because it's <laughs> it's it's a, it's a lot of pages, you know. And, a lot of pages. I love it. <laughs> and I'm usually reading about four or four or five books at the same time, you know. And then yeah. I oh, myself, really? which I, I don't like that. I do that, but that's what I do. So um I, I kind of wanted to be able to to get through another book. But then about a year and a half ago, I think it was, I had put a call on Facebook and I wanted recommendations. I've decided it, last year was supposed to be my year of the novel and because I read a lot of nonfiction. And so I asked for suggestions for books that were, um, you know, non-Western European because I re I've already read most of what I read fiction-wise is, is, is Western European. Um, so non-Western European, non, you know, non-white, cis, het, you know, nothing. I wanted something that wasn't about anything like me at all. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, 
so somebody had suggested Pachinko, and I'm like, okay, I, I can't, I can't avoid this book anymore. I have to, I have to read it. I was really glad that I did. I, um, I've read it last summer, so, um, and I'm, I've really milked it. I stretched out the reading of this book so long because um, I loved it so much, and I didn't know, I didn't want to separate from this family. And yeah, um, I, I have, I even just thinking about it, like I, I did a review on Wikipedia about it and my heart was hurting in the same yeah. way that my heart hurt the whole time reading it. And I just fell in love with, um, you know, all of the characters, even some of the unsavory ones. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was really, really glad that I read it. it I, I tend to get very attached to, um, characters and, um, like I mentioned, having that, that hurt in my heart and it felt so, um, yeah, I just, you could just feel the love in the book as well. Like, I feel like that would love in all, in lots of different ways is like a, a kind of a running theme through that book. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I loved it. Yeah. So if you have not read Pachinko, <laughs> um, a young woman, like we enter the story through a teenage girl and a little bit about her parents and her parents are, um, wait, Booney? Hooney. Hooney? Hooney. Hooney. And what's the mom's name? Youngja, I think. Youngjin. 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 And um, even their parents. So their parents are even in there. Like how Huni and anyway, and they're in this, they're running this tiny boarding house in um, Korea, in a like a fishing village. And the description of this boarding house and the rotation of the guests and the women scrubbing the floors every day and then washing everything on the rocks and the water. And then two significant male figures enter this scenario. Um, and one is the pastor and one is um, Ko Hansu. And that sort of sets the rest of the story in motion kind of because she ends up having one's baby and the other one marries and gets involved with their family. And it, it, it's, it's so much. And then, and then they move, they, there's things that are never told. There's um, food making, there's survival, there's um, a war happening. Um, and it's really the story. It follows Sunja uh, kind of through her entire life right and um we kind of see it's not like we're seeing things through sunja's eyes but i feel like we know the most about her thoughts would you agree with that um i think we know the most of sunja's experience yeah i feel like the character is almost not not that verbal Mm-hmm. Like we know right. her experience through like what she goes through, how she responds to things, what actions she decides to take. And that's very described very vividly. But yeah, um, there's only a few times that the narrator really goes into like the inner workings of Sunja. 
Mm -hmm. um, and I think it comes out the most when she's dealing with Kuansu. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I, I don't think that the, the, well, what I like about the storytelling is that you understand the characters without having to read their thoughts. Yeah. The author doesn't go on and on about she thought this and she felt this and she did this and that's why she thought that and she thought about this person that way. Doesn't go in as much. Um, but the way that she's acting, um, I think, um, yeah, I would say she's the protagonist if there ever was one in this book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And I often thought, like when I was thinking about her as a character, like she has a very, um, I want to say simple is the word that comes to mind, but I don't know if that's the appropriate word. Um, but, you know, I, I've heard too that a lot of times protagonists are often the least ones developed in certain ways so that the, the reader can sort of imprint themselves on them. And I was wondering if I was just sensing something in that about Sunja. Um, I feel like as much as we know about her, and yes, she's definitely the protagonist, that there was still so much I didn't know about her. Maybe she's not simple and that she always surprised me. Yeah. She, yeah and, I, and what was interesting is like, I would say Sunja is singularly motivated, not singularly motivated, but narrowly motivated because she's a survivor and a worker. And there was a set of rules that she sort of was raised in that are so powerful that they guide her entire life. You know, there's not, I feel like one of the frustrating things about this book for me, but frustrating in a really like powerful way was the, and any book or any show that has like a big, honor and tradition and pride element running through it. Like things are just this way and they must be this way. It is maddening to me, you know, and it's maddening. And on every page of this book is revealed through this culture, this profound thing of this is the set of rules that I understand. And even if it's harming everyone around me and the system is terrible, we're all following these rules, whether they're cultural rules or family rules or religious rules, perhaps not having the greatest outcome, but how it, this book for me is, is this great mirror of how we are all following certain things that don't work out well for a lot of people. And it reveals it so strongly just in the story, just in the telling of the story. People are like, this is the way it is. It's got to be this way and it's it's frustrating you know so um do you guys know what i'm talking about i'm seeing a little bit of nods but i'm not sure if you're on the same page well, you know this this particular period that book covers from like uh um we call it like a three one i think the book mentions it a couple times three one like uh movement like it happens just before the book starts i think um the pastor's brother, yeah, yeah. pastor's brother was involved in this movement. So um, that period where like the fall of Joseon Empire to through the colonization by Japan 
into Korean War and into the, the modern times. It, it's a period that's very often covered by Korean pop culture. And some of these characters almost seem stereotypical to me, or at least it starts out that way. Like the uh, innocent girl from a poor town that gets violated and like see how her life turns out. I mean, that, that could be Tess, you know, mm -hmm. if it was in Europe. Uh, it could be, um, yeah, it could and, be anything. Yeah, and uh, 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 Japanese, the Korean guy who like becomes a Yakuza in Japan, that's also a stereotype. That it may seem fresh to people who's never like seen stories from that area, era, but that's that's not like unheard of. Um, right. Or that the pastor who like, um, who's like who has moral values and and things like that but what i liked about this book uh, and i i knew about uh, uh, uh koreans in japan and what kind of stereotypes and hardships and presence they had to deal with so what i liked about this book is that the book does not deny the systematic structure and injustice or the the big sweeping like historical event that you have no like not really as an individual have a control over you don't play a part in that you don't have a control over that but i thought the book showed like a variety of ways that people react to it and really highlights the resilience of this family and and i i felt like that's when spoiler alert when noah goes the way he does um, that's like doubly heartbreaking because you knew that it didn't have to be that way, even though there's uh, the racism and prejudice and like you, but and he didn't have to react that way. Mo Moses didn't react that way and Solomon didn't react that way, but, but, but Noah does. And it's, it's very heartbreaking and, and, and Sunja survives even though her son doesn't. Right. Yeah. So actually thought it was interesting that there is like a rigid structure but then in in their own ways they break it even as like a what could have been a stereotypical character in a fiction or like the or characters themselves like they don't let go of their own humanity mm -hmm. like you know the story that one of the one of the conversations i i overheard this conversation i didn't actively cut like uh participate but when I was in uh, in college, I knew a guy who was born a Chinese in Korea, came to the United States. And, and a woman who was born uh, Korean, Korean in Japan and then came to the United States. And they were talking about Ida General because he grew up in Korea being, going to Chinese school and constantly being reminded that he's Chinese, not Korean, and that's his culture. Same thing with her. Like her parents do not speak Korean. Her parents uh, only speak Japanese and so does she. But when she was growing up in Japan, she was constantly told she's Korean, not Japanese by her own community as well as uh, the Japanese government. Yeah. And then they, they came to United States and then they meet Koreans from Korea and also Korean Americans. And then they realize that like the, the Chinese guy who was born in Korea decided that he's actually not Chinese. He, he thought, you know what, I'm actually Korean. And then she, her, when she came back, she came to the United States and met all these other Korean people. She thought like, you know, I was weird as Korean in Japan, but I'm actually Japanese. So this like, and I like, 
I don't know, like my identity is like Korean and American, but then like I don't really participate that much in Korean American community here. So then like these um, interesting people who are their own and they're not subjected only solely to the, the identity that society assigns you, I, I thought the book did a really nice job of highlighting that. And then the person, oh, yeah. Noah, like he let the society define him and that's why he loses himself, I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I feel like it could be any, I feel like we could be talking about any culture that is the other, you know, any, anything. That's what I loved about this book was that any, you could replace this divide of like, you're different with any racial divide or any <laughs> class divide with just that kind of you're different. That's your spot. This is our spot. You're not allowed to be respected. And it's, it's such a universal story that anybody, I think what's so rich about this book is anybody can see themselves as like, Oh, I've been the other and I've been, you know, just assumptions were made about me just because of this one thing. And there's, it has no bearing on anything, but that side is so into holding on to their perception. And this side is so into holding on to their perception that they can't just see each other as human. And it's this battle going on the entire time, which I think can be seen in any kind of, racial divide or sexual divide or community divide or political divide where this this crew is looking at that crew and assigning things to them and it's directing their entire life instead of meeting and every once in a while in the book you see someone I would say like is it Goro is he is that Musazu's boss at the Pachinko yeah. Parlor right and probably who is the seamstress that is there. Um, Tochiyama, is she the first? Yeah, is she yeah. Yumi's mom? I feel like throughout the book, every once in a while you meet someone who's just on this even, like, yeah, you're a person. I like you, you like me, let's work together. Like they're, they're somehow escaped the rigidness of the judging cross cultures. Like, yeah, I'll have lunch with you or yeah, well, let's hang out. You know, it's like they, they somehow, and in a book like this, I feel like that person stands out. That person who just isn't so reined in and choked by the definition that the culture has put on them or tradition or whatever it is. They've just decided to be human and express it and not be ashamed of it. And I think with Mosazo, it starts off with him fighting as a child, right? Oh, I wanted to ask you guys about this. What did you think, or did you think about it at all? Did you think about the idea of, so obviously Noah is Kohansu's son, mm -hmm. but he doesn't know that. And he grows up with, um, so Ko Kohansu being this character that's, rich, powerful, has a wife and kids and is running <laughs> businesses his whole life, is the father of Noah, but father's race, but Noah's raised by a father. Um, and now I'm remembering his, 
which which is the first name Bayek? Oh, Isaac. Oh, um, Isaac. Yeah. Bayek. Okay. He is. I guess what I'm interested in is like one's father seems like the other one's father. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like. Um, yeah, Noah takes up uh, after the adoptive father more in his uh, temperament. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. even uh, even the uncle makes a note of it. Yeah, in the book that like um, that boy takes is like my brother's son. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like that's interesting too because the denial when he denies when he's upset learning that kohansu is his father it's a it's such an identity do you know what i mean his identity is already so shattered and confused because of his upbringing and his father being in jail and being korean in japan and all of that then the I don't know. I guess I feel like that last twist is too much. Do you know what I mean? It starts well, to break him apart. I, I I guess I'm curious to know if you guys, I, I found it shocking what Noah chose at the end. Yeah. Um, and I remember even as it was building up to that. Um, I didn't see it coming at all. Well, no, I didn't either, but I still, but there was still an um, intimation that he was so disgusted, like he didn't want to have any part of it, and then he ran away and all that, and and I remember, and, and this is maybe the ignorant Westerner in me, I didn't, I, I couldn't understand, like, why is he reacting so strongly against this? Um, why is it this much of a shame his father is not him? Um, so yeah. I guess I chalk that up to a, a kind of cultural difference, but he seems to be the only one who takes it that far. Uh, were you guys surprised by his last decision? Uh, yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, I actually found his reaction of finding out and like, being so rude to his mother, like I found it more shocking than the suicide. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because by the time he had that reaction and chooses what he chooses, which is to cut off all ties with her, having seen, I assume, like all the hard work that she's gone through and like the relationship, like, he was he was boy enough to know his father and how his father was like with his mother. Uh, I mean the adoptive father, right? Mm -hmm. So for him to have that level of reaction, that was more shocking to me than the uh, the suicide that follows because he seemed like a, already a shell of a person. Yeah, yeah, and I I thought that um, Noah seemed. Even the fact that he takes holds on to the ideal so much was so similar to Isaac. Mm. Like he's not yeah. he's not like a resilient practical person that Sunja is or Kohansui is or or Moses is. He he's more like his adoptive father in a sense that like he will hold on to ideals and then um, I think his father um, actually had generosity and heart. Mm -hmm. So that when the ideals 
um, didn't work out, like he was able to see that. And I think maybe because he saw his older brother um, be sacrificed into the independence movement and, and he realized that he doesn't have the guts to do that, mm-hmm. maybe that helped him be more rounded. But I think Noah just, it almost seemed like he was spoiled and sheltered for him to that have that kind of reaction. And interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, th- I found him to be the less, the least knowable. And yeah, I remember when you brought up the, the point about how he reacts to Sunja, I remember feeling shocked by that as well. Like, how is, how could he possibly be treating her like this after everything she's done for him? Like, it, basically, it was, at a minimum, it was ungrateful, supremely ungrateful. Yeah. And he saw that she did not want to take that money. Um, but like, Part of me wondered, like, if he lived in, like, his books and um, his uh, constructed sense of reality by himself long because he was separate from family a little bit. Um, like, he he was the one that was always studying, always, like, keeping the perfect appearance. Mm-hmm. Like, his family's willing to be a little more messy mm-hmm. rest of the family. Yeah. yeah. It's so when I think about that, I just think about there's there's so many parts of this book that make me think about kind of unnecessary clinging to pride and tradition and how that's revealed in a lot of stories that I read is this kind of shame, shame on me, shame on my family, shame that I carry from a different generation shame that we were treated this way, shame that this is my job, shame that we live in this place to the point where I'm going to pretend to be a completely different type of person. And when his mom comes to visit, I feel like he does know who he is. And he knows he's been living a lie. He knows he's rejected his entire life, you know, because he has. He's like made a decision to, to make his identity to deny his real identity for so long that he doesn't even know who he is. And when his mom visits, he knows who he is, I I think. But, but I see it with like, I feel like it's also revealed that kind of unnecessary holding on to pride or shame or whatever, because of that constant contrast of what is a valuable thing to do and what isn't a valuable thing to do, you know, like, is being a fisherman a thing to be proud of? Is being a businessman, is being a kind of mobster guy, is being a pachinko, is this constant like, is this an honorable thing to do or is this? And can this still have honor if it's like this? And that definition has always bothered me. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those stories that just like pokes at it. It's like something that's always just made me insane about humans and the way that we are. <laughs> but this book huh. just displays it and displays it and displays it and displays it over and over huh. and over to, to where I just want to just like, why are we like this? <laughs> right. And I yeah. think we're living that right now too, where, oh my God. where grocery store workers who yeah. would generally be respected or all of a sudden we consider them heroes now and they're on the front line and millions of us yeah. have lost their jobs because guess what we're not necessary so what yeah that what is it even yeah I, I don't I don't know I think we need to I think society needs to whether it's western or 
I don't know about, you know, Eastern, we need to function with a certain amount of shame. It, keep, it maintains hierarchy and it maintains, as long yeah. as you know that you it's don't deserve it better, it's not, you're going to be easier to be ruled rather than led. But Yeah, I'm over it, frankly. <laughs> I'm super yeah. over it. I'm super yeah. over the like, that person's supposed to bow and scrape and that person's supposed to be thought of as important. Like I was even watching, I was watching some, you know, British drama the other night and thinking about Pachinko because there's this, Oh, we're not allowed to be like that. And she's a lady and we have to be over here and grovel. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? It's like, oh, because it's built in and these are the ways it is. And I just kept thinking about Pachinko and there's this like, like there's a certain level of buy-in at every level of society that says, we're not going to respect that person as much as that person. Like we're not going to res respect the Pachinko money. Also, because I'm in the cannabis industry, you know what I mean? And it's like, <laughs> you're not allowed to bank. Your money has to stay dirty. And, and, and I was just like, it's you set it up that way. The actual thing, like people playing pachinko, isn't hurting anyone. You making it dirty is what's hurting people. <laughs> you being a shame monger who won't let people interact in the world like a normal person created this problem and then you put shame on them and so it's fucked up but it's very much it feels like the british drama pachinko and the cannabis industry are all in one big <laughs> continuity in my mind of like we've put you in this category and said you're bad and so all of our picturing of you is like you're you're bad that thing you're doing is bad you can only use cash money because we won't allow you to bank and so we know that your money is dirty so we're going to arrest you and then you're going to have a record and then you're going to be bad because you have a record and you know what i mean it's like a finding a reason to make someone bad and then saying see you're bad and that universal theme I guess that comes up so many times in so many movies and shows and it reminds, it reminds me too of the flip too with Kohansu as as Yakuza and, and but also makes me think of mafia, right? So these are people who are doing things that are harmful to society, right? So yeah, on a level you can say, yes, these actions are bad, but then they um they cloak themselves in the in the outwardness of material wealth because to wear a nice suit and to have a beautiful house is the image of respectability. Yeah. Even though sure. what they do is not respectable. Right. Or he's, some of them are like, I'm just doing what I do. You know what I mean? It's not respectable or unrespectable in any way. It's just kind of like, I'm doing what I do. I'm, I got a job. I work at this place. <laughs> it's not respectable or not respectable. It's just like, I look at a job. I like nice things. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. Yeah, but the, it's like, the book almost sets out that you almost want to like him. You almost like him. He, he knows what's going on. He takes care of his people. He's like a fairy godfather, but not yeah. like totally handing out everything. And he's driven by his like, his like connection that he thinks he has with Noah. And, and then yeah. like, 
and you're like kind of like okay so whenever Sunja's in trouble he comes like knight in shining armor and saves her but then like one of the scenes that really stayed with me was when he beats up that girl in the limo right yeah 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 and she's crumbled like a butterfly broken butterfly on the back seat and then the author takes like two paragraphs to basically like run down her future life which is like yeah. devastating yeah yeah and then okay. that shows up later uh, uh, what was the girlfriend's name? The girlfriend that's in the hospital. Solomon's girlfriend, right? Oh, wait, Hannah? Hannah. Yeah, Hannah. She's not really the girlfriend. She's like the sex partner. So, yeah. So, so you kind of like have right. this uh, broken girl's life laid out in plain terms without any emotion in two paragraphs in a fleeting scene. And yeah. then like, like a generation and a half later, Hana's life kind of plays out that way because she ends up being the same, like the girl that bades men for money, which is yeah. what the other girl ends up becoming. So you kind yeah. of see that. I thought that was a pretty good writing mm -hmm. to oh, kind of yeah. information and give oh, men okay. like passing, passing a character, but then it shows up later and it kind of makes the context a little fuller. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I, I and, and some some ways like I I grew up uh, I grew up Christian and like this generational saga almost reads like a Old Testament family. Mm -hmm. And the book is sort of kind of like that where here's your lot, you're sold by your brothers to Egypt. Yeah. And then you do this and do this and that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what you said about Kohansu being the fairy fairy godfather reminded me, because I kept thinking, this guy's like the deus ex machina. Like wherever they get, the family gets kind of stuck, all of a sudden, you know, he comes in, even not directly. Like, you know, Sunja sells the watch and then he finds out, you know, like just, yeah. and, and that triggers him to, you know, do other things to help them. But just like there, every time there was like a sticky part, it seemed like he was the, the crowbar to help, you know, loosen that part of the plot a little bit. Yeah. And the thing is, is I was, I saw him as a human male. He wasn't yeah. evil. He wasn't good. And the thing is, is, he got no encouragement ever, ever, ever in 70 years. And he just kept taking care of his family. And the thing is, yeah. is see, I think there's a picture painted of like, I didn't think I wasn't supposed to like him. I didn't think that at all. I thought he was a human male mm -hmm. <laughs> with the dark side, like a lot of human males with a dark side, a lot of human females with a dark side. like. Hannah was a very confusing character for me because I was like, quit fucking with that young boy. You know, get your hands off that young boy and respect yourself. You know, it's kind of like, I get, I understand this character, but I also kind of hated her. Do you know what I mean? I, it, like, it, and the thing is, is it's human. It's human. I didn't see it as like this person is like this and this person is like this and Kohansu is rich. So he's bad at all. I didn't see it at all. He was a human male <laughs> in a fucked up situation trying to take care of his family. And he was never, ever, ever thanked, encouraged, acknowledged. He was like rejected, resisted, shamed. And I was like, wow, okay. 
there's, I don't know how else it really would have worked out in this culture. There's probably no way they could have been like, let's hang out with him more. You know, he really wants to be with us. Like nobody's ever going to say that in this scenario, but also why not? You, you know, like it, it's that, that part of culture of like, resistance to seeing each other as humans trying their best kind of thing. Um, and also with like Yosef and um, like Yosef and the sisters, right? In this culture, we're going to go defer to Yosef mm-hmm. and ask him if we can do this or that. And I'm like, why does he get to say? And I know it's just a cultural thing, but also it's this, it's still about the hierarchy and the men and women and the tradition and all this. And the whole time I'm just going, but why is it this way? And I'm ranting I mean, about all this because the, 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 no, the I don't think it's writing like this. In 1940s and 50s, this is before the times of Mad Men. What? So it's 1940s and 50s. It's about like, it's before the times of Mad Men. So it's not a whole lot just the culture. It's also the time. Of like different I know, but even even if it was ten thousand years ago or twenty five years in the future, I'm just saying like that whole not being able to see humans as just other humans, but seeing them as like you're above me, you're below me, your status is this, is what a, what great writing does. I think for me, the reason why this book I've read it twice, <laughs> like eaten it up. What's so great about it is it reveals the story that just keeps being told over and over and over and over and over. I mean, this story covers five generations, but it could go back a hundred more years. It could go forward 50 more years and you could still put that kind of rich, poor male, female, you do a respectable job. There's you don't. Dirty. There's homosexuality. There's Everything. The, the disabled Everything. son that you never saw. Yeah. Yes, all of it. It's a lot in there. It's a lot. It's a lot. And it's just the, the, the characters just are doing their job. They're walking around, carrying around the story, right? And it's very specific to a culture. And it's hard for me. I think I was, (laughs) because I was reading this while watching some, I can't even remember what British drama this was but there's that very like you're a servant we could never marry kind of story and I'm going to deny you and not give you any money because you shamed our family same story you know same thing really you're from there I'm from here we can never marry even though they're all white they all look exactly the same it's still this kind of like shame hierarchy tradition that makes me go oh my God, are we ever going to get this right as human beings where we can just see another person? (laughs) This is the same story I've been reading for 10,000 years. Um, And she reveals it expertly. No, I was saying, you bringing up the the British story too, because of course class is such a huge part of their society as it is, I guess, in most, and um, and their yeah. literature. And so often their stories are of those of the lower classes that almost have an omniscient view of what the upper classes were doing. But I feel like in Pachinko, Kohansu is kind of as a member of the 
a, a kind of upper class. He was the one who knew everything that was going on with the family, but yeah. they never knew when he was going going to show up, or even the fact that he, you know, had his machinations go in their lives that they were completely unaware of. Yeah, yeah, and and there's probably and and I feel like you could put a story like that in any culture. Like, of course, this story could be in India. Of course, it could be in like Civil War America. It could be in, do, do you know what I mean? It could be, this is a baby born in shame. This is poor people trying to live. This is the machine and system that's already in place that's causing things to suck <laughs> for all these people. And this is them trying to better their station. It's such a it's such a fantastic universal story, I think. Um, and the, the way the characters are painted, I think that is so interesting is one of the things that I hadn't thought about until Jihei said it was they don't say that much. There's not a lot of long conversations. They're just, we're going to start cooking kimchi and here we go. You know, like we need this much room in the kitchen. We need a stall. I hope the stall's not there. I hope it's here. It's heavy. We're going to do it. Now the kitchen smells like this. Now our kids smell like this. Now they go to school and they smell like this. And everybody knows that their mom sells at the market. And then they shame them, right? So there's just, we're going along doing life and surviving, which is the thing. And then the human weirdness of it is we're going to judge you and shame you. And that's all you can be because you smell this way or you wear these clothes or you came from this place. And um, yeah, but I, I guess I had not even thought about that much. There's not a lot of long conversations. There's even the relationship that starts everything, the kind of Kohansu Sunja relationship is you know, they have a conversation about picking mushrooms. They have a conversation about the, whatever's in the newspaper, but they don't even have it. There's not a lot of dialogue through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of, oh, it's so good. So I got off on a tangent. <laughs> what um, what do you think? So, okay, one of the things I was curious about, because I had never heard of pachinko. I assumed it was like slot machines or something, but have either of you ever played pachinko, seen pachinko machine? No, I, I knew what it was from like yeah. getting a glimpse of it in news stories about gambling in Japan or whatever, but I haven't actually played yeah. And then I guess have either of you, um, because both of you have been in food and it could be said that Sunja and Yangjin and Kyungyi are in food and they cook uh, through the entire thing. They're serving food from the first few pages to the last few pages. They're serving food. So have you seen this play out in your life in any way? Have you had a relative that had a job that your family considered, I guess, less than? Have you had a relative or a family friend that was considered like, oh, they're mob-like or we don't take their money? Have you personally experienced any of this? Not personally. Well, there's, there's, I mean, we touched on it 
a little bit, like grocery workers and restaurant workers are now suddenly essential and heroes. So that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It's more that like when I was in Korea, I uh, found like um, my father's diary from uh, from uh, like his uh, high school years. Oh my God! Um, really? Yeah. Let me let me try to like do a quick calculation. So it must have been oh like God. six. Yeah. So not too different than what what like Sunja was going through um, after 1945 and the World War II, and then. Um, um, and then like, you know, Korean War in 1950 and it's going through, um, there, there was a snippet that my grandmother was making like rice rolls and selling it at the, um, at the, uh, stations, you know, you want to do it in the stations because that's where the commuters are. That's where more, a lot of food traffic is. Yeah. So it's either the market or the stations. And I've personally had a lot of street food <laughs> like that. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, I, I, I want to say like these things, like I, I felt like I was able to actually visualize what they were doing because even like little hand pulled carts that they're talking about, I, I, I think I know what that exactly looks like because mm-hmm. I've seen it and I've seen it on TV and um, like little things stood out kind of like few things that I stood out that stood out to me that even though like Shelly that they were like you were saying how human beings keep doing the same thing like keep um the same patriarchy same classes classes to racist ideas but um first thing that really stood out to me about Sunja was well yeah Sunja was that she was very loved by her father yeah and that's unusual like that's 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 not that's a stereotype yeah, because the book kind of touches on it. Like, it's frowned upon to really, like, brag about your kids too much, show, show outwardly love too much, but especially yeah. to a daughter. Yeah, a daughter is worth a lot less than a son. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I think, um, I think that's a really important tidbit and um, a break from stereotype. And I, I feel like the story keeps doing that. Like, these tiny little things that characters have or do that just breaks with the stereotype enough and that sets the characters not to be playing out like a cliche, even though they're sort of like living a cliched life because of the times of the uh, the era that they're living in. And I thought that was really great. Mm-hmm. 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 So there's this reading group guide in the back that um, <laughs> I didn't really think about any of these. Uh, things, but I'm curious what you guys think about this. So, um, Yangjin and Kyunggi uh, say a couple times in the book that a woman's lot is to suffer. Like they say it at different during a pregnancy or when they're working or trying to get money together. So, you know, it's the question is about how do you see the suffering of each generation changing in this book? Like how does one woman suffer and does the next generation of women not have to suffer as much? Are the men suffering as much? And what is it? What is the suffering? Like, is it physical? Is it suppression? Is it, you know, when you think about them going up Mm -hmm. and the theme of suffering, 
Well, there's not a lot of, the women don't seem to have a lot of choice in many matters, which I think maybe is what makes Sunja's choice to not, you know, be Kohansu's mistress uh, kind of remarkable. It stands out. She stands firm for herself. Yeah. Um, but like her mother wasn't, you know, didn't choose Huni as a husband, um, though it sounds like it was a good mar marriage, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I guess Sunja got lucky that Isaac wanted to marry her, but was, so I guess it was a kind of, she accepted, I guess that was a kind of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he decided they'd go to Japan. And then of course, you know, his brother ended up being like the man of the family and making other choices for the women. So that, I guess, to me, stand out was the inability to, to have much agency in your, your yeah. own life. Yeah. And even though it's not women, it, the same thing keeps coming up with uh, Koreans in Japan, how they don't have a lot of choices, so they have to go to pachinko. They don't have a lot of choices, so they have to go to uh, like being a gangster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think there's like a lot that you're given keeps coming up. Right. Yeah. And okay, so this is another kind of kind of a book question, but it, it's it fascinated me. It was the most fascinating. I didn't even think about it, but so. There's sex throughout this book. There's sex that, you know, babies are born, babies are lost. Um, people have sex, they think sexual thoughts, but it's all not sexy. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is, it's, it's a very interesting view of sex, I think, through five generations. So when you think about this, this kind of, it's almost like this is what I'm accepting. I'm I I I was fascinated by this. Like, okay, this is my husband now. We're laying on the same mat, so I guess we're gonna have sex. And that kind of, and then they show Hannah's way of sex, and yeah. then they show. Do, do you know what I mean? And then they show the desire between Kyungji and. What was the guy who ran the place, but then he went away? What was his name? Um, I forgot his name, but I, I know who you mean. You know who I'm talking about, Like the, right? the young protege of Kohansu who ran the restaurant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Charlie? It wasn't Charlie. Kondo? Was Kondo, maybe? Yeah. yeah. So, any thoughts on, like, sex? Well, I that was portrayed, like, a part of life. Yeah what happens yeah but in terms of like the the non-sectiness or the agency that one that character that that young guy who ran the restaurant he ends up going to that prostitute who seems very happy to be having sex with him if i were <laughs> like so and that was a, a sense even though you know this was her occupation her way of making money and who knows how she got into that work um but she seemed perfectly happy to be doing with him. So it wasn't the only situation that was, that was, I'm, I'm trying to think of all the sex, all the sex scenes. And that was like the one where it didn't seem that it was awkward or necessarily one-sided. 
Right. Right. Well, Suja, of course, goes to Kohansu, you know, you know, repeatedly at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's described as pleasant sex, you know. And so and and but even the sons, like I think about like the next generation and you know, their girlfriends, and there's this very strange what is the girlfriend that says, I don't care that you're Korean. Don't you see that? Oh, yeah. He, he decides that Noah's he Noah's uh, college girlfriend. The college girlfriend. It's yeah. Noah's college girlfriend that they think that he's going to marry, right? Or is it Mosazu's? No, Noah's, no, Noah's no. girlfriend is the college girlfriend who's Japanese who, said, who continues to leave, says that, like, I'm so... I, I mean, to me, it almost sounds like I'm so liberal. I don't care if you're black. Yeah. She had another, like, a political kind of um, motivation yeah. going on behind. Yeah. Her. I don't care. Yeah, that's to it. It wasn't necessarily character. generous. It, it, it had some something behind it. Right. It was like racist by saying, I'm not racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like she's that girl. It reminds me of, you know, that girl who's like, who says like, oh, no, no, I, I don't see color. Yeah. Or, or no, no, no. I've updated black guy. It's like, yeah. I, I get it. Yes. But the fact that you keep talking about it means you're seeing it as other and not just as a description. Like he had red hair or he was bald, you know, it's just a description versus like, Oh, I accept that entire way of being, and here's proof, and mm -hmm. I'm going to use that to describe myself as part of like my own liberation. Mm -hmm. But that was a, it was very well done because in that scene, not much is said. She's saying, "I don't care if you're Korean," and he's saying, "We're done, we're mm -hmm. done," and she can't see it. She can't see why it's a big deal, and I'm like, "Oh, girl." How can you not see that this is a big deal? You're so annoying right now. It's terrible. It's perfect the way she does it. Um, ba, ba, ba. Um, what did we think of, uh, and, and you guys can tell me what this was like in your culture, but the terms good Korean and good Japanese are used. Like he's going to be a good Japanese. He's going to be a good Korean. Um, and did you grow up with anything like that, like good Southern girl or good Christian girl or good Jewish girl? <laughs> or did you, what did you think about that in the book? How did that land on you? And how did you experience that in your own life? Um, it's hard to say personally, but like when, when Noah's told like, okay, you're not like the other Koreans, you're going to be a good Korean. <laughs> Um, yeah, what's it the fuck reminds that? me of kind of like when like Barack Obama first came into the scene. It's like, oh, that guy is like not like the other black guy. <laughs> oh, my our black guy. oh my god! It's like, oh my god! It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I don't. I didn't have any experiences like that growing up my family's from malta and so um and the maltese community like blended in like because they wanted to they they adapted to american culture really readily um but last year my husband's from england and we we went to um to visit his family 
And after having some conversations with, you know, some friends of the family, people kept saying, wow, you're not an American like like we see on TV. You're, you're different than I expected. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, oh, a lot of, yeah, I got that a lot. And I'm like, well, my kind of Americans don't make it onto TV, I guess, but it's not. Um, but yeah, I, I found that really interesting, like people being surprised. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get that when I go to Korea, but I get like the opposite. I get the uh, like, oh, she's being American. Mm-hmm. And oh, most really? times, yeah, it's like my liberal point of views tend to gather that sort of reaction, like you're being American. Oh, yeah. because I of your liberal point of view makes you yeah. sound like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Well, I'm even, I grew up in South Carolina and moved to Michigan. So when I go back, it's just like, well, she's a Yankee now. Mm. <laughs> she doesn't even like Jesus anymore. And I'm like, we, know, <laughs> we still know Jesus. He doesn't, he didn't grow up in the South. Yeah. Didn't, you know, like... Or do you know what I mean? The late, when I think about that good Christian girl or good Southern girl, good Korean girl, good Jewish girl, whatever it is, good Jewish boy. It's a trap. Yeah. It's crazy. And it also it's like a disservice. It's like saying, well, what are you saying about humans? Are you saying that, like by saying he's a good Christian, is it like you're assuming there's a lot of bad Christians or saying they're a good Japanese? Does that mean they fit? into the ideal that you've been sold. Mm-hmm. But I guess we could say that, like some people are good Americans. And it's like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're staying home? Or does that mean they have a gun? You know, does that mean they like country music? Or does that mean that they love all races? Like your good American snapshot in your mind is made up of whatever you've been told is a good American. So mm-hmm. it was interesting because throughout this book, the good Korean, good Japanese, my opinion got formed from the story. Like a good Japanese was work really hard, uh, please the emperor, you know, um, go into certain lines of work, you know, and even that opinion, I was like, I didn't come up with that opinion. That opinion was just described to me. And being a good Korean was like, you're trying to prove to the Japanese that you're good enough to fit in with them. And that's being a good Korean, I guess. Is that what that means? And who started selling that bullshit? <laughs> you know, like, how, how far back does that go? You know? Um, yeah. It's well, you know what? Okay. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to be devil's advocate for Kohansu. Here's what kept me kind of on team Kohansu for most of the book, right? Was because people were going, the Japanese are like this and the Koreans are like this and the rich are like this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the shit that's got to get done. Okay. (laughs) We got to go to the farm or you're going to die. You know, like that's, we can talk about, and, and it was like, he was cutting through propaganda a lot. And when I was, you know, I'm reading this for the second time and I'm reading it in quarantine while people are saying, here's the leader we should believe. No, here's the leader we should believe. Here's who's right. Here's who's wrong. And every once in a while, somebody's going, um, I'm going to open a field hospital. <laughs> you guys can just stand over there and decide who's right and wrong, but I'm going to start whatever. I'm going to open a sewing factory and they're just going to do it. And so one of the things that I appreciated about the Kohansu character throughout the book was that he was kind of like, 
I get it. Shame, tradition, you hate me. Here's some food. <laughs> you know, I get it. You're never going to acknowledge my existence in your life. I'm going to get you a commercial kitchen to work in. You, you know, it was just kind of like, so, right. so that part of his character, I found myself going like, well, thank God, <laughs> you know, thank God somebody with means is at least just trying to get something done mm-hmm. because other people in the book with means are not like using their means for anything. It, it, it was, it's just, it was a fascinating thing to see. I, yeah. And I yeah. thought that aspect really contrasted with Yosef. Isaac's brother, because he wanted, like, even when he couldn't work, he wanted to be the man of the house and not oh my God. Um, to earn money. It's just like, you guys will starve if you cling yeah. to the belief. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I probably grew up thinking that Yosef was, was like the good, smart, good hearted man and that Kohansu was the bad man. But I'm like, why would I even think that about Yosef? Like basically he's blocking their prosperity. He's blocking the women from learning anything because of some prideful tradition Mm -hmm. that I find useless. And I I think I grew up in a time where the stories I would read, I would be like, Oh, I see why they respect that man. And he's, he, because, because he's the father of the family, but like secretly in my little girl brain, I'd be like, well, he's a dick, though, <laughs> you know, and he's not that smart. You guys are being way too hard on Yosef. I mean, he was more like, to me, like a grumble, like grumbling old guy who's just like, that's not how it's supposed to be. But I guess that we need money. <laughs> right. Generally, it was just that at that one particular aspect. I was like, dude, you got to yeah. let this one thing. Well, he, no, he was sweet Uncle Yosef. He was what's frustrating for me was he's sweet Uncle Yosef, but he had more power of those women that he should. Like they needed to do things and he was getting in the way. And it's because he was the man. He was just the man who didn't know that much more than them. And he was a hard yeah, worker. But he had these he great qualities. did what they wanted, wanted to. Yes, he they did. doing what they wanted to. Yeah. So yes, they did. Like, he may have had the outwardly appearance, but he couldn't go against the changing of time. And he couldn't, he couldn't go against the reality and practicality. So the woman ended up like doing what they wanted. I actually thought Kwan's was quite unlikable even though like the practical part of him really appeals to me but Sinja had made it very very clear over and over that she did not want his help and he keeps finding sneaky fucking ways to right. keep coming back into her life when right. she keeps saying no and that was kind of triggering yeah yeah and even yeah. though he's very human and and there's a lot of things that are very attractive about him uh, as a character, which I just like which which one, Kohansu. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, there's there are many things that are very attractive about him as a character because of the practicality, because he's uh, um, he gets shit done, uh, because he keeps showing up like providing for the family. I think ultimately he's not worthy of Sunja, and that's why she doesn't choose him over and over because because he's just not as big of a person or strong of a person as Sunja at the end of the day, or like as a righteous of a person. And I think she is not like a picture of righteousness. Like 
Isaac was, but I think there's something in her. Um, and I think the book kind of indirectly attributes to having been purely loved by her father. There's like something oh, yeah. in her that like stands up straight and tries to do the right thing all the time, even when she makes a mistake. Right. Yeah. Sanju's such a wonderful character to watch and and to watch her I miss her, you know, I miss watching her walk around her life and do the things that she's doing and react to things. And I'm always proud of her and pulling for her and everything. And I love the, you know what, I love the sisterhood. I love the sisterhood that she, who is it? Hi! <laughs> I haven't seen you in forever. Hello. <laughs> I get in there. Oh, I thought she was going to stick her face in there. Um, Taking her triscuits back. I um, there's a question in the in like the book study guide about um, beauty, and it's interesting because there's sort of a little ongoing comparison of like Kyungi and Sunja beauty like Sunja it seems like she just goes like I'm a human that works and my hands are like this and my body's sturdy but she has almost like a when she does ever notice her appearance it's sort of like oh there I am I'm and then when her appearance is described it's like handsome sturdy but then Kyunji is described as like the do you know what I mean? She's like the charming Yung, one. Kyungi is beautiful, traditionally beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, and Sunja, yeah. she considers herself not beautiful, although there are multiple occasions where Kohan Su's character and her husband's character describe her as quite attractive in her own way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because I feel like Kohan Su always thinks she's attractive. For like 60 years, he thinks she's attractive. And it's a, such a fascinating thing to, to watch play out over decades of, because we can all probably think of someone that we hold in our mind that like they don't age or they, do you know what I mean? Like our picture of them stays the same or stays attractive because of our initial experience with them. And they hold each other in their minds in this kind of like, I they, they remember yeah. she I think he remembers her always as like a 15 year old girl and she remembers him as this man but I'm wondering like how you felt did that cause any feelings in you of the way that they talk about her like fading beauty because they talk I, I about thought, it like that yeah. yeah I thought Kwansu what he was attracted to her was initially her like like I think he's attracted to her practicality. Um, she's a working class girl. She's yeah. not like covered in powder and she's not shallow. So he's attracted to her. Like, I think he thinks of, even the character thinks of it as like, I was attracted to her innocence, but I think it's more that like, he's a practical person and he's a smart person and he sees the similar kind of practicality and smarts in her. And that doesn't fade with age. And there are yeah. multiple times where that like, he keeps like comparing her to her to his wife and his daughters who are well kept and beautiful yeah. but uh, shallow and not practical. And I think um, 
um, I think it's funny that the part that he's attracted to in her is the part that rejects him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's the universal story. That's why it's so good is because that is the universal story. The story is like, you're too good for me. That's why I'm attracted to you, which is also why I'm not going to be your mistress. I mean, I've been through that. <laughs> I've been through that in it's it's fascinating it's like if i was with you i wouldn't be the person that you're attracted to in the first place you know it's mm -hmm. it's fascinating so um parent child relationships uh there's like i would say there's the main relationships there's huni adoring his daughter then there's mother daughter working together then there's mother, leaving daughter, going with sister, new husband, <laughs> mother, child, father, child. Um, so anyway, interested in your thoughts on just like the changing family dynamic through the generations. Like what parents expect from children, what children expect from parents. Yeah, I re I guess I remember refining it endearing, endearing about Huni's love for Sunja. Um, I don't recall that her mother's love was ever described in that same kind of way, mm -hmm. though I feel like it showed itself a lot. Mm -hmm throughout the years. And that struck me too, is how um, often fathers are uh, sort of complimented or exalted when they show love for their children, but it's expected from mothers. So it's not really noticed as much. Um, mm -hmm. That was one thing that stuck out to me. But that, but when Jihei then points out that, you know, it's not something that would be done in Korean society to, you know, brag about your child or to um, especially a daughter. So then I guess it makes um, some amount of sense too. Um, but I remember, you know, the scene where, you know, flashing forward where Sunja goes to Kohansu's house and meets the, you know, the wife and 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 seeing you know the splendor that he lives in and everything and and I I was like at first I thought that was like that was a remarkable thing that she did and then I remember well, oh, yeah. this is a desperate mother who is you know out of her head needing to know what's happening to her child and I'm like so yeah. that in a sense of a lot what most or many mothers would do mothers that would keep to the code so to yeah. speak yeah. I was thinking about, I can't find it right now, but the very last scene between Sunja and her mother. Oh, yeah. Did the verbal fight? Yes. Did that surprise you? Do you think she had, what did you think about that? I'm surprised in how real it was. Because <laughs> I, I also thought like the way that Sunja is with her sons, like always being perfect mother in like the best way that he she can. Yeah. Um, it fits the character, but 
that Sunja's mother like snapped and said stuff in the moment of like illness and weakness, like few days before she died. Like yeah. that seemed like so real to me, and it didn't diminish all the other things that Sunja's mom did it for her. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was real. So basically, what happens is Sunja's mother, kind of in the last few days of her life, tells her like. You, you ruined like us. It is. Keeping it real. You ruined us by having this child, and and it's like, it's yeah, it is very real. It's very human. Like there's no candy coating. Like everything worked out for the best, and now we have. That's not it. It's and there's no reconciliation. Sunja apologizes. Her mother cannot bring herself to say anything, yeah. and then a few days later she dies. Just perfect. It's not, like, I I really dislike it when a book or a movie tells the audience what to think and everything's, like, neat and tidy and, like, all explained. I I feel like that kind of takes the audience to be dumb. And Mm. this one doesn't do that. It kind of, it's willing to kind of let it hang and let the the, uh, reader decide on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, there's so many more things. I just remembered the whole, like, um... I'm going to be just one second. I have to let my dog out. Sorry. Okay. She's grumbling. I don't want to deal with anything after. Hi, puppy. <laughs> Go out. Um, it would be really, I really wish I had a dog right now. Um, there's so much more. It's fascinating to think about the real estate transaction do you remember the real estate transaction like can you get this woman to sell and she's 95 we need this piece of property and then it gets sold and then she dies and they're like oh yeah well she was old and we sent some flowers to the funeral what's the big deal and and then you're left with this unsettling like did like, did they set it up for him to fail? Is that mm-hmm. what they did? Like, did they set it up for him to fail? Or did they back out because someone would actually believe that? Do you know? And I started, have you guys watched Ozark? No. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, God, it's too big to even get into, but, but there's family drama, there's <laughs> circumstances that are kind of mob bossy. And one of them involves like someone died and, and just because like someone is there and people are dying in proximity to this person, to their property. And so people start going like, oh, you must have killed that person because they washed up on your dock or they were the last person that you saw or whatever. Um, And I kept thinking about that property thing with like, did they use that as an excuse to cut him out of the business or did they really believe that? And it stuck Mm -hmm. in my craw. And that was another unfinished business type thing that, so the people I ended up admiring the most in this book were those people like Goro and Mozazu who were able to go, 
let's just live. Okay. Here's what happened and it sucked, but let's just keep going. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. You'd be honest with me. Some other people are going to be fucked up. Let's just keep moving forward. And I realized for me that the people who kept who I was pulling for the most were those people who were sort of practical about like, yes, J Japanese Korean relations suck and don't make sense. So that's true. Now, what are we going to do to move forward? And, it, you know, there's probably only two or three characters in the whole book that are really at liberty to live that way, you know? Mm. And one of them I think is, um, Who's Hana's mom, who kind of, she's an intriguing character. Exudo, what's her name? Oh, I thought she was such a sad character. She's a sad character? Yeah. I thought she was like a tough, real, human, interesting character, but tell me what you mean. She cannot bring herself to marry Moses because of the uh, society, what society says. And it's not like even the society that she's living in, it's society that she came from, she doesn't visit anymore, like miles and miles and miles away. And she's still tied to that. So she's kind of bringing unhappiness onto herself because she cannot move forward with it. And but when you, when you say that- Having to deal with a daughter who's yeah. very troubled. Yeah, so I would say that every character is doing that. They're coming from a society that they came from and they're not letting it go and it's directing where they are now, even if it's, it, they're holding on to it. I would say a I lot disagree. of yeah. I, I don't think every character is doing that. I think that's the lot every character is given. And then I think uh, there are characters who are trying to go beyond that, rise above it, or like, you know, be live with it the best they can or uh, fall sacrifice to it. And I would say that she falls a little bit sacrificed to it, but not as to the extent of Noah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Noah's sacrifice to it. Um, I would say Hannah is one of those characters I'm just going to be uncomfortable with and not because I forget how she comes to be the way she is. But I think it's because I'm so attached to Mosazu and I feel like he hangs in there with her for so long. Maybe that one is too close for me. Maybe it's like, maybe I've had too many addicts in my life, you know, where I'm like, she seems like that to me. Long troubled you. What? He seemed like so many. Uh, I felt like I actually knew a few, not maybe. Oh, too yeah. But like oh, yeah. That she's troubled. Yeah, but also it's watching someone, Mosazu and Hana is, if you've ever been in a relationship with an addict, sexual, drugs, whatever, mm -hmm. self-hating, addiction, whatever it is, and you're watching the person that cares about them the most, and that hurts, do you know what I mean? It's like a double pain. It's like watching the person hurting themselves and then watching someone else you also care about being hurt by that person who's hurting themselves. And so that Mozazu Hana relationship was was tough for me. It was like, ah. Um, sorry. sorry, do you mean Mozazu or Solomon? Solomon, right? Yeah. Oh. Solomon's oh, the is it Solomon oh. Hana or is it Mosazu Hana? Oh my God. Have I been Solomon saying Mosazu? Oh. I thought Solomon moved Oh up my God. Oh my God. 
Yeah, Mosazu. Yes, yes, yes. I'm sorry. I totally meant Solomon. I totally meant Solomon. Every time I said, I wish I could go back and edit it all through. I looked down, saw the name, said it. Damn it. But yes, obviously, obviously that's what I'm talking about. Because I was, you know what I mean? He's like the last baby, right? Solomon doesn't have a baby, does he? He's still the youngest one yeah. at the end. Okay. So Solomon is that baby. Do you know what I mean? His family's already been through so much and he's that baby. Okay. And then and then you know that this relationship with this girl is going to shape his young life that's already been shaped by all these other tragic things. Um, I can't believe I kept saying my, I, there's so many generations. And it makes me think back to Solomon's mother too. Is her name Yumi? You know, the yeah. one who uh, she gets hit by a car, but she had a oh difficult life too, upbringing, right? Isn't she? Oh, yeah. Mother, I feel like her mother was, there was something up with her mother. I can't remember exactly what, but. Right, right. Um, yeah, there was that, that thread, but. Yumi was somebody that I really liked and admired because she she wanted she wanted more. She was perfect yeah. in my mind. I loved her. I liked her it too. Was tragic, and 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 one of the interesting things that they say is like, so they describe this, and you're kind of pulling for this family. You know, Masazu is pretty happy, and Yumi's they're getting along, and they're got this son and. And they describe Solomon after she dies as like he's he's surrounded by this cloud of like people caring about him because the news of his mother dying, you know, we probably all know someone like this who like they're sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. My dog's not feeling well, so I have to run. Oh, oh okay. I just need to deal with that for a second. No, 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 Jihei. When can we come see you at Miss Kim? When are you open? When are you there? We're open can Monday I... through uh, Sunday every day from noon to 8. So uh, okay. check us out online and then you can place an order. Uh, so you guys go support Miss Kim and uh, go take care of your doggy. And thanks for coming <laughs> on. And thanks for talking about free food for millionaires because now I want to read that. Any other books you want to recommend or things you want to say to tie up your pachinko discussion? I recommend Drown uh, by uh, Diaz. Uh, Juno Diaz. Yeah. Drown is a debut uh, collection of short stories by Juno Diaz. It's set in New Jersey, uh, circles around a lot of uh, Dominican-American kids and New Jersey is where I'm from. I'm an immigrant, so it's another kind of, but these are shorter, short story snippets. Uh, so it's, it makes a very quick read. And then he's a very skilled writer. Mm -hmm. Oh God. And anything just, okay, one more thing. I know you gotta go, but cause I meant to ask you this like 30 minutes ago, anything in here about food that particularly making food, the smell of food, the description of food, sticky rice that really like hit home for you as a chef slash restaurateur? Not actually really. I mean, it's it's uh, presented as a means to a living and kind of part of a home, but I didn't think that it stuck out like a, like a, a scene of a dinner party or like a food memoir. I didn't think it was like that. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, go take care of your dog. Thanks so much for being on. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yes. Yes. Lynn, any uh, final impressions? Because, like, I 
have talked about this book already for two weeks and could keep mm-hmm. talking about it for two weeks, but it's because it's such a big sprawling universal, it hit all kinds of buttons for me. And anyway, any other big themes you want to talk about? Um, well, the, one of the things that struck out, stuck out to me too, is just the historical context. I felt like, oh, I mean, yeah. you know, not knowing very much about, um, well, about necessarily Korean or Japanese culture and then learning about that time period and the racism and the war and everything. I, that was, that was really, um, compelling for me too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I didn't, I would say I didn't, you know, what's interesting is probably 20 years ago when I was a sales manager, I was working with students at the University of Michigan and I ended up recruiting and working with a lot of Koreans from Korean Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. It was like a big group of people that I met at once and then they referred me to other people in Korean Campus Crusade for Christ. And I remember, um, having a couple of friends, these big, tall Korean American guys and, um, getting into that culture and going, Oh, okay. What, what are the through lines of the second generation Koreans? And then I got to meet a couple of groups of parents, you know, that were first generation Korean Americans and they were like three feet smaller than their children. (laughs) And I was like, what, how did you have such a big baby boy? You know, like, this is crazy. And I remember this mom who hadn't said anything through the whole meeting, right? Cause I was recruiting their kids to go do this crazy job. And we had a meeting where the parents could meet us and blah, blah, blah. And then I think I met one of them at the graduation party or something. And she's like, went off about American food and you know like too much american food steroids in american food do do you know what i mean and it reminded me of that scene the scene that it reminded me of is where the the mothers are talking to i think it's phoebe and they're going like you don't cook right 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 what what do you eat like like they don't under even understand like why aren't you cooking who who cooks and she was like i grew up on kfc i grew up on mcdonald's you know, and yeah. the women can't even understand it. Like they're yeah. just like, because in my mind, like the cooking was an entire through line. Like yeah. the whole story I saw is happening. Again, too. Yeah, yeah, the whole story is happening, and they're cooking the entire time. The story right. is happening. Right. It's like they're making they're making barley tea. They're making soup. They're constant. Yeah, and the white rice for uh, Sunja's wedding, like the importance of having white rice, really stuck out to me. Maybe, maybe the fact that it didn't stand out to Jihei was because maybe she was more like Sunja and Kyunghee in that way. Like it's just, it's it's like water. It's just you know water. So you know, food of course is just all around. Whereas for us, it was different, and so maybe it stuck out more for us. Well, yeah. Well, when I think about like another story that I really think you would like, if you like kind of multi-generational, multicultural, um, have you uh, read Homegoing? No, I haven't. I think you would really like Homegoing because it's like many, many generations crossing paths. Um, It's amazing. And I guess the difference for me is I've read a lot of multi-generational and there's not a big focus 
focus on food. It's like we had supper, you know, it's like, it's, it's just there. It's not like we're cooking it. We're turning the kitchen into a place, white rice, candy, sugar, where are we going to get the fish? Like it's through it so implicitly that, mm-hmm. um, one of the things I appreciated about them reading this right now, and then I'll wrap up. I know we are like almost two hours almost, but, um, I really like to talk about books, Lynn. Yay. <laughs> How about that? I'm happy that you're here and I hope you're enjoying yourself a little bit. Um, the, uh, during a pandemic and we're thinking that we're suffering. I started thinking about suffering because they talk about it a lot and they talk about history has not been kind to us and woman's lot is suffering. And there are people right now in America and all over the world thinking that they're suffering right. and the definition of suffering and what we have to put up with. And by comparison, the like, the comparison of suffering and how it fills whatever space there is really. Mm-hmm. If right. you're suffering because you want to go see your boyfriend and you're 17, but you can't, because he lives in a different county and we're in quarantine, then that's pure suffering. It takes up all of the room that you have for suffering. Mm-hmm. But you're not probably fleeing from a war in poverty and you just lost four children and you're never going to see your relatives again and you don't know how to read and write and okay. you only have one pair of shoes. You know, like... Yeah. Suffer, this the amount of suffering that one group of people and another group of people or one character and another character and how they deal with that level of suffering is very intriguing to me. And in yeah. this book, there's, you know, Japanese, Korean, Koreans who are Korean, Japanese, Koreans who don't go back to Korea because they don't feel like they're from there. People who judge North Koreans that are Koreans in Japan. There's all these different things and they're suffering. They're all suffering for different reasons at different levels. Right. Fascinating to me, but (coughs) culturally it's right. Because the suffering, like everything is very personal. You know, I had a friend who was feeling guilty because, you know, he really misses going out to restaurants and he felt bad about feeling bad about it. And I was like, no, you felt bad about feeling bad about it. Like he felt guilty that he felt like when knowing that other people were suffering more. So he wasn't, you know, missing restaurants didn't seem worthy on the suffering scale. Yeah. And I was like, you know, you're, you can have your feelings. It's just, what are you doing with it? You know, like you're still staying home and you're not out, you know, protesting. I want to go to the hairdresser. Like that's a very different, you know, it's like, is what are you doing with that feeling? You know, um, you're still being resilient through it. Um, but you're allowed to miss restaurants. (laughs) Yeah. And, and she, (coughs) Sunja feels bad she feels guilty because she wants to look beautiful in front of Kohansu. Right. And she also suffers because she sort of misses him. Yeah. But she also suffers because she feels guilty because she loved her husband and she suffers. And, and there's a certain thing I think that, um, so this book, since we're almost at the end, Pachinko, you have to read it. 
if you're listening to this, you have to read it because it's, it's telling the story of a million different kinds of people, not just Koreans, not just Japanese, not just certain races and classes, but it's telling the story about choices and suffering and family dynamics and race and class and history. And it's telling it through the lens of this one family and this one central character, but it's, um, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's a, I mean, I couldn't recommend it anymore, I don't think. And um, and so we could talk about it forever, but we'll stop right now and I'll just recommend that you read Pachinko. And next we're going to read, probably the next thing we're gonna read is um, Women Talking. So if you're listening and you wanna read Women Talking, uh, get at me on Instagram really soon. We're going to read uh, verses from the Bhagavad Gita with my friend who's an Ashtanga yoga teacher and she studies it every day. So I'm excited about that. And we're going to redo Seat of the Soul uh, by Gary Zukav because that was a lost recording. So um, if any of those are appealing to you, another one that was just referred to me was uh, Rabbits for Food, I think is what it's called. Have you ever heard of that one, Lynn? No, I haven't. Not for okay. Life. Um, anything exciting coming up for you, Lynn? <laughs> <laughs> In quarantine? No, I'm just hoping to remember what day it is tomorrow, pretty much. Tomorrow is Friday, I think. Yay, yay Friday. It. Like, it's lost all meaning now. It's, yeah, like, who cares? Like, right. I, I was looking it up just one day we were doing a show and somebody was like, what's a Thursday? Because I was like, we can do it on Thursday. What's a Thursday? And then we both who decided that? Who decided to arrange this week, you know?